Welcome. Welcome to, Welcome to Education on, on Tap. Welcome to Education on Tap, a podcast brought to you by Teach for America. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Education on Tap. I'm your host, Aaron French. Many of the loyal listeners out there know that I get a lot of guests for the show from Twitter. That's really no secret. This week's guest is no different, but he was also suggested by people outside of the social network, mainly because he really doesn't pull any punches when it comes to addressing tougher or more controversial topics. He's also our first guest with ties to the White House. The podcast is moving up in the world, y'all. Enjoy. David Johns is the executive director of the White House Initiative on Educational Excellence for African Americans, and that is housed within the Education Department. And first of all, David, thank you for joining the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to engage in this conversation. Yeah, so I follow you a lot on Twitter, and you are a rampant Twitterer, tweeter, uh, whatever the, <laughs> the word is out there these days. Um, and it's really interesting stuff. And so I wanted to have you on the show to talk through a lot of the work that you're doing there at the Ed Department. But before we get into to some of the stuff that you're tackling, can you explain to me exactly what this initiative uh, from the White House is all about and what you're trying to do with it? Yeah, I would I would love to. Thank you for asking uh, that question. So the White House Initiative on Educational Excellence for African Americans, which has been definitely a long title, uh, but I say it as often as I can, and I refuse to shorten it um, uh, for the reason that uh, President Obama thought that to establish this initiative, um, and a quick footnote is that we are the newest of six total initiatives, the eldest of which is the uh, White House Initiative on HBCUs, Historically Black Colleges and Universities, which was established under Carter. Um, and there are five other initiatives that are similarly focused on supporting um, and filling population-specific gaps and, and identifying opportunities for um, Hispanics, um, Native Americans, um, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders. Um, then uh, There's also a White House Initiative focused on uh, supporting faith-based and neighborhood outreach. And so um, in this administration, the president um, and the secretary of education and members of the Congressional Black Caucus and other stakeholders um, thought it appropriate to respond to the evidence and the data, uh, which suggests that when you look at um, a lot of quality of life indicator ladders, um, um, on many of the lowest rungs, um, you'll find African-American students. And to be clear, um, this is not an indictment on all African-American students and uh, communities throughout this country, not only in uh, major metropolitan spaces, but often also in rural communities and everywhere in between, African-American students um, who come from all different types of family backgrounds and socioeconomic statuses and, and the like are um, succeeding for lots of different reasons. But in some communities, uh, and there are lots of trends, <laughs> um, especially in the South, where a lot of, a lot of students generally are poor, um, African-American students are um, are faced with some uh, particular um, obstacles. And so in a world where we know um, all our children, youth, and uh, adults need uh, skills and experiences and credentials to compete in a competitive economy, um, the president and others, again, uh, established this initiative. And we focus uh, right now on three principal um, objectives. One is uh, leveraging the platform of the White House to provide opportunities for experts to speak their truth to power. Um, and, and really to make recommendations for um, ways that um, um, others can help help to support them. And so uh, to be really, really clear, experts for us um, at the initiative 
um, our students, our, our young, uh, uh, primarily African-American students who um, um, are able to show up and, and demonstrate the ways that they are, um, to borrow the, the line from the Nina Simone song, um, Young, Gifted, and Black, um, and, and to let them make recommendations for the ways they carry and concerned adults can help them feel um, safe, engaged, and supported, um, both in school and, and in life, um, period, full stop. Um, the second thing that we focus our, our efforts and energy on um, is highlighting and, and, and disseminating evidence. Um, and so debunking the myth that and, and or responding to the question of uh, what should we do? And the third thing that we do is serve as a liaison between and among communities of uh, individuals who are focused on supporting um, all students, but especially African-American students. Great. And I'm going to ask you probably what seems like an incredibly obvious question here, but there is no doubt in my mind that you have probably gotten it before and there you have probably faced some opposition to the efforts that you're, you're currently uh, or you currently have underway there at the education department. But why does this matter? Like, why, why is this a thing? You talked a little bit before about some of the statistics face, facing our African-American kids. Um, but you know, what's the kind of stuff you're hearing as, as far as it relates to why, why this matters to people? Yeah, I appreciate the question. Definitely not an obvious one. And uh, because there's power of precision, I, I definitely don't think that uh, we have received opposition, but um, definitely questions. And so I'm really thankful for the work of um, Catherine Lehman, the Assistant Secretary in the Office of Civil Rights at the Department of Education. Um, the Office of uh, Civil Rights worked with um, um, uh, colleagues similarly situated in the Department of Justice to, for the first time ever in the history of our country, publish a set of data um, that really highlighted that uh, in too many schools throughout this country, um, African-American, Latino, um, and students with disabilities, um, 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 uh, students who are um, LGBTQ, um, are disproportionately um, pushed out of the very spaces in which they are supposed to feel safe um, and be nurtured and supported as they learn, grow, and develop as we all do. Right? And so um, this data, which is available um, at ed.gov slash OCR data, shows, for example, that um, African-American uh, male students are suspended and expelled um, sometimes at, th at three times the rate at which their uh, non-minority counterparts are, right? Um, there's additional data that was provided by um, the NAACP and the National Women's Law, Law Center in a report called Unlocking Opportunity for African-American Girls that also showed that for, for black girls, it's six times the rate uh, as it is for their, you know, white counterparts. And so I said all of that to say that... Um, we have a responsibility and an, and an opportunity as a nation to uh, support all of our children. This initiative exists to ensure that federal resources um, are devoted to supporting those who are often most neglected and, and ignored. And so um, what's really important to our work and what relates to those um, three core principles is what I call reframing the, the narrative, right? Really challenging uh, prevailing and popular, often really, really wrong uh, perceptions that people, adults, have about uh, children and what they're capable of. 
let me ask this. I mean, you talked a little bit about uh, obviously federally appropriated money to pay for the, pay, pay for this program, this initiative that you're running, but you don't necessarily you haven't necessarily seen opposition. Just some questions, but there's de- I, I mean, I definitely see out there opposition to this kind of program. I mean, locally speaking, here even in D.C., our schools chancellor is trying to earmark or has tried to earmark $20 million to help minority males in the school system and, and provide extra supports for them. Um, and to me, that makes sense, right? Because historically, this is a disenfranchised population within the city of Washington, D.C., and we need to make up for failing them for so many years. But why do you think that people are so against policies like that when in fact, what you're saying is that we have a responsibility to all kids, but it seems some folks don't really feel that way. Uh, so, uh, again, for me, the framing is really important. And often we have these conversations in the confines of the tyranny of the either or when there's so much opportunity and liberation in the both ends, right? And so the most important thing to, to, to note is that the school's chancellor, uh, Henderson, um, identified after doing research, after conducting a significant amount of research, um, uh, opportunities to, in addition to everything that they are already doing for all of the students in DCPS, this is a, a, an additional opportunity to support um, 43% of the district's population. Some of the data, right, shows that, again, amongst those uh, Black and Latino boys comprise 43% of students enrolled in uh, DCPS, um, but the graduation rates, reading and math scores, and attendance amongst minority boys are all lagging. Uh, by fourth grade, almost half of the city's Black and Latino male students are reading below grade level. Only about a third of the district's Black male students are reading um, and math proficient compared with nearly 66% of non-Black or Latino students, according to the data that was conducted. Um, And so I say that to say that there is a need to identify um, strategies and solutions that benefit all students in DCPS, but especially those that will accelerate the learning and development of this 43% of the population. It should not be to the exclusion of anyone, and in particular African-American and Latino girls who are very close to uh, these lagging percentages of, of, of black and, and minority boys. But again, they go back to the point that I started at. We step back from this uh, black, white, um, uh, um, minority male, non-minority male student um, dichotomy. Um, there's data, at, at least that two years ago, um, showed that on average, students graduating from DCPS were two grade levels behind students graduating from schools in New York City's public school system. Just think about that for a second. What it feels like to be a student who's graduated, having done all of the things that they said that you needed to do to be able to go compete, and you show up on somebody's college campus only to realize that you aren't running the same race. And so uh, it's really important for us to not get caught up in the questions that some council members or others are asking about the need to do this work, but to highlight responsibility and the opportunity to support those who are persistently, most often, neglected, ignored, underdeveloped, and under-resourced. But there's a need to do it, and if we don't, we will continue to be in a space where we are denying young people 
opportunities to develop the skills they need in order to be fully functional in their communities and in our state. And that has national economic, social, um, and security implications. Yeah, I, I actually really enjoy your reframing of that. And I'm really glad that you called it out much more eloquent than I ever could, that this is not an either-or situation. We, you know, we, do, we don't, it's not like we're robbing Peter to pay Paul here, right? We are hopefully righting a wrong while keeping everybody else on track. So I really appreciate you putting that out there and being very strong uh, in that viewpoint. Um, and I want to I want to go back a little bit to something you said before um, about how kids are really the people who know what they need, right? And we're but we're not talking to kids. Um, tell me a little bit more about what what brings you to that conclusion because I think, you know, adults like to think what they know what's best all of the time. I I mean I know when I become a parent I'm sure I'm going to think that, that I know what is best all of the time but what makes a kid an expert at their own experience to to know what's right uh, so uh, again uh I, well I won't say again uh I I I I thank God that um when I was graduating from undergrad I was forced to resist the calling that he's had on my life as an educator because I was able to teach kindergarten um, and I fully believe in the adage that everything I ever needed to learn, I learned in kindergarten. Bless you. And Bless you if, for if teaching you, kindergarten. <laughs> if, if, you, if, if you can uh, uh, ever um, sit in a circle amongst, you know, four, five, and six-year-olds and just ask them um, about their day, what they will remind you is that babies, earlier than we ever want to give them credit for, are thinking about the world around them, as soon as they start to understand themselves, they start to think about their place within it. They develop naturally and thrive in environments where caring and concerned adults are committed to supporting and stimulating them in the ways that work best for them. And so this isn't something that changes over time. I am a 33-year-old African-American man and if there's one thing I know other than that I am a child of God who has been very lucky to have identified a passion in education and have been supported in pursuing it, is that I know my experience better than anybody else knows my experience. That's true for everyone. And so if the, the question is, how can we better support students? There's no one better position to answer that question than the students themselves. That's not to say that there aren't other um, actors that are as essential in that process, but the conversations have to start with, and the, the action should always be anchored by what's in the best interest of students, right? One of the things that I uh, appreciate having learned very early on in my career as an educator was that if I always um, made decisions at the end of the day after, um, you know, consulting um, experts and other colleagues and, 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 and parents and members of the community, if I always thought about what was in the best interest of my students, I was always at peace with whatever decision was made. Um, and so, again, I, I, I think that some of it is, is, is practice, right? I think about um, having been a, um, a student um, at, at Columbia and really being interested in, in research, right? This idea that I could pose a question and then be paid and supported and pursuing the answer uh, really intrigued me. Um, another way in, 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 in sort of that space and in the academy 
Um, and sometimes in professional development, uh, as educators, we're trained to just talk to one another and create echo chambers where we bounce ideas off of one another, having developed a very similar way of thinking. Um, it's really important to, to, to uh, deconstruct that um, and to, again, be reminded that um, impacted communities, whether that um, educators or students or, or parents and families themselves, um, are best positioned to speak for themselves and to work with and developing solutions. Yeah, and I think we're, we're actually going to dig into that with my next question. But I, I, I have to say, what you, what, you make, what you say makes complete sense to me as it relates to kids being the owners of their own experience. Because it's like, you think about it, when a kid touches a hot stove, right? They know not to touch it again. They, they, they figure that out for themselves. So why couldn't we apply that principle to what they believe they should get as it relates to education? So I think that's just a... a it's a really cool way to look at it. But, but and at the risk of being pretty snickety, I love that analogy because let's push it a little deeper, right? And and all not all kids are going to respond to the same stimuli. So I'm the I'm the child who, um, when my mother said that's a hot stove, it took me one time to put my hand near the hot stove and realize that she was telling the truth, and I would never do it again. Right? Not ever. Right? I am the I am the kind of child who will live vicariously if it means that I don't have to um, uh, struggle, fall, or suffer in some significant way. However, I have a sister who is less than two years younger than me, who is one of the strongest, most resilient women I've ever met in my life. She got the same lesson. She even watched me put my hand near the stove. She would put her hand on the stove repeatedly. Right? She moves through life wanting to experience everything that she's born to experience and needs you to be there to support her after she does it, right? And so the kind of teacher or um, school administrator or law enforcement official who would expect every child, and in particular, every black child, to respond as I would respond would be frustrated at every turn by my sister. And the reality is that there are many more examples of moments when students show up not having had the kind of development and support and, and really aptitude or desire to function in school in the way that I learned to function early on. And so there's a lot of work that needs to be done um, with and among the adults who show up in the spaces where kids show up and pass through to ensure that we are all reminded um, of the need to constantly check the perceptions and the expectations uh, that we have and, and, and develop and carry with us about the things that we want kids to do. Yeah, I, I feel like this is like a TED Talk title in the works, right? Like holding your hand to the stove, <laughs> what it means for educating our kids. Um, but th- I mean, that, that, that all makes complete sense to me. Um, it, you talked a little bit earlier, uh, this is my last question for you, you talked a little bit about earlier about how communities need to rally around this cause. And a lot of what your work does, it, to no one's surprise, since the initiative is a part of the education department, focuses on how teachers and school districts can help minority students. But what about those people that are just your average layman, uh, the community at large, um, non-teachers? What can they do to make sure that they are supporting minority students as well? Yeah, I appreciate that question. Uh, so a couple of things. Um, one, a child's first and most important educator um, are always his or her parents, right? And and the caring and concerned adults that show up 
um, especially in those early years, right? It, this is important to remember that, excuse me, um, learning starts at birth and the preparation for learning starts well before birth. And so um, the, the, the family around uh, nuclear, otherwise blood-related and, and otherwise, the family around um, young people is most important, uh, period, full stop. Um, and it's uh, Women's History Month, and we just celebrated Black History Month, and my mom always told me to celebrate who I am and whose I am all, all the time. Um, and so to borrow the adage, it, it takes a village. Um, the work of supporting the learning and development um, of every single child requires uh, that we all recognize uh, that we have a responsibility, um, uh, really an obligation, uh, to support the young uh, uh, people um, around us, period, full stop. Um, there's no such thing as a lay person um, in this context. We all um, live in spaces where um, the, the uh, opportunity for young people to thrive by having a high-quality learning and uh, development um, experiences and supports from birth through college completion and career entry, um, that impacts everybody, to be clear. Um, there, everyone, you know, uh, minority children, dis students with disabilities, um, uh, queer students in every sense of the word, um, those students who uh, sometimes people want to uh, forget about, uh, neglect, ignore, or say um, they can get it as long as uh, it doesn't impact me or mine. The ability for those students to... Um, again, thrive and contribute to the GDP um, and have the skills needed to serve in our armed forces and continue to protect this country as the um, honorable men and women who serve in our armed forces each and every day um, and to uh, support um, communities that are healthy, safe, and whole um, requires that um, each of us do something. Sometimes people say silly things like teaching is a rocket science and they're right. It's a lot harder. Um, so I want to be clear. I'm not saying everybody should um, think that they can be a teacher, our school leader. Um, everyone should consider it. Um, not enough people consider it. Um, everyone should definitely value it. But if you have a job, you can find a way to expose um, young people to uh, what's required in order to develop the skills needed to be successful in your industry. Uh, if you've gone to college or graduated from high school, you can provide kids who um, live in your neighborhood or show up in your church or um, are connected to your fraternal or, or sororal, uh, fraternity or sorority, rather, or uh, whatever spaces you show up in, you can ensure that the young people that are connected to them have access to the things that allow you to be um, successful um, and happy. You, you said something that I think was so so wonderfully worded that I, I, I have to give you credit for it. There are no lay people in this. Um, I love the idea of that. That is so much more powerful to me than, you know, it takes a village or we're all in this together. It's like everybody has that responsibility. And I really appreciate that. Um, David, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. I feel like I learn something every time I read one of your tweets, and I certainly learned a lot today. Um, I'm really excited to share your voice with all of the listeners out there. And thanks again for joining the show today. 
You are incredibly kind. I thank you for the opportunity and the very, very kind words. I look forward to continuing this conversation on Twitter. Or or, or maybe a beer. I mean, we're both in Washington, so maybe a beer someday. <laughs> or that. Let's do that, too. Let's do both at the same time. And <laughs> that could be a really entertaining follow-up to this show. I can, I can guarantee you that. David, thanks again. You can follow David on Twitter at Mr. David Johns. And if you're interested in reading through more of the data that David mentions throughout the episode, you can sign on to ed.gov forward slash OCR data. He mentioned that, but I wanted to call it out again. And if you want to participate in the Twitter chats, you can find those at AFAM education, AFAM education, hashtag same thing. As always, thanks for listening to Education on Tap. A reminder that you can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud, and you can subscribe there too. Just search for Education on Tap. And if you have any feedback or a suggestion for a guest for the show, much like David was, you can always give me an email at educationontap at teachforamerica.org, or you can tweet at me or Teach for America at Aaron Mofo French or at Teach for America using the hashtag education on tap. That's it for us this week. Until next time, have a great weekend, y'all.